0: Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast for Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. Our top story today, how did stable value funds perform in 2022? Well, joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Jennifer Gilmore is the head of stable value portfolio management at Invesco. Jennifer, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning.
1: No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate
0: the time. And I appreciate you indulging me because I really enjoy stable value. It's something that I have always enjoyed getting under the hood. So I appreciate having someone like yourself on to talk about this very important asset class. Let me let me start off by just asking you in generality: How did stable value, given market volatility, some of the experiences that many of us had in the market in our retirement plans, how did how did stable value perform in twenty twenty two? Well,
1: I think the important thing is that. performed right in line with expectations. So it's something that really drives our portfolio strategy. It was really the objectives of stable value. And that's going to be principal preservation, making sure people can can get their money, that there's liquidity when they need it. Um, And I think the other thing is an attractive crediting rate. um, That's what participants are earning in their portfolio. We want to make sure that's moving in the same trajectory as market interest rates. So, And that's what we saw. We saw principal preservation come through. Um, We did not see losses in stable value portfolios. And then also we're moving in that trajectory of market interest rates. So people were seeing an increase in their stable value crediting rate, and that's good for their retirement goals. The, the one thing I will note real quickly is that um, this was a market environment that we have seen in the past, um, only really two times in the past 30 years. And that's where, because rates were increasing so quickly, then you can see periods where money market funds will outperform stable value. So a lot of questions we're answering is, what does that look like? How long can this last? Um, we really see this as a, a short-term phenomenon and over the long-term stable value continues to provide that attractive premium over those money market investments.
0: Yeah. We'll talk a little bit later on about the interest rate environment. As you said, I, I'm sure yes. that makes things challenging in terms of management. Uh, yes. Let me ask you about, we'll we'll talk about participant se- sentiment in a second, but let's talk about okay. some of the interests uh, that employers or plan sponsors, as we call them in the retirement industry. Did you see increased interest in this asset class, uh, whether it's a collective trust or a Guaranteed product or a separate account. Did you see a lot of interest from employers?
1: We we really did. And, it, you know, I think, as as you know, you have stable value across a lot of defined contribution plans. So I think where you had stable value, that was something people were very happy that they had stable value as an option. Um, a lot of the conversations where we're having about new investors in stable value came from two areas. One would be where they would, a plan sponsor just has a money market in their portfolio, and they were looking for when's the right time to start a stable value portfolio. And when you have yields that are over 4%, um, this looks like a really attractive time to start a stable value portfolio. I think the other interesting thing and a lot of the conversations we were having with plan sponsors is around target date funds. As you can really imagine, with the volatility that we were seeing last year, you had target date funds, even those that were closer to the retirement phase, and your fixed income was delivering negative performance. Your equity was delivering negative performance. And this is something that you think, is there a better solution that could help to avoid some of that? we for a long time have included stable value as a component of some of those later stage glide paths and target date funds. And so a lot of the questions we were getting from plan sponsors were around, is that something we could do? Is that an option? Could stable value play a role in our ta- target date funds that could help to avoid some of some of that experience that they did see last year?
0: Yeah, really, really important yeah. to note that because a lot of these target date funds have money market they may have cash component or they may have yeah. a core bond component just speaking in very high generalities yes. how about the participants and and look we all we all see the market we all see the up and downs we all hear what the fed's doing and we all get nervous i we we all have emotions uh did did you see an increase or have you heard of an increase in participant flows to these asset class to this asset class
1: We really did. And it just as you say, a lot of times when there are headlines, when people are opening up their newspaper or just the nightly news and seeing such negative returns, then that's something that makes them act. And so we were seeing withdrawals um, from equity and a lot of deposits into stable value, especially early in the year as the Fed started that liftoff. That's when we were seeing a lot of positive flows from participants. I think this is key. What you hit on is that there's going to be volatility in participant flows. And that's one of the reasons that when you're thinking about designing a stable value portfolio, you need to make sure that that strategy is able to accommodate inflows and invest them and and not have a lag not have just a, a large cash allocation because you're receiving such a large flow, we want to make sure that that is invested. At the same time, you need to provide liquidity, because just as those headlines came out, we were seeing large inflows. But then a couple of months later, we saw some pretty heavy outflows and what you can't do for a stable value investor is say. I'm going to need a couple of days so that I can get your money for you. Um, as you can imagine, that, yeah, that, that doesn't that, work. So no, we really not, have to that find not that work out. Well. No, it would not work well at all. So I think it's making sure, is your long-term strategy ready to accommodate both the inflows and the outflows? Because you can't predict headlines and therefore you can't predict your participant flows. It's really important uh, to Robert.
0: And you bring up a lot of, you know, this is the first time that I can remember in recent years, we we've had historically low, interest rates relative to uh, you know, the 80s and the, maybe the 70s and 80s, um, but this probably creates complexities in terms of managing a bond portfolio. How did, the, how did you, without giving away the, the secret sauce, no, how, do you, no. how, do you, how do you manage um, a bond portfolio um, and especially a stable value portfolio when the, the Federal Reserve is raising rates and you don't really know what to expect?
1: I will tell you one of the most important things that I've learned over the years. So a a little over 20 years that that I've been managing portfolios. And as I think about this, one of the most important things is you can't get distracted by the noise. Um, So it's not so much being able to predict the future, it's making sure that you're not being pulled by the day-to-day headlines, the volatility in the markets, uh, whatever the news clip that is coming in in that morning, I think one of the most important things is really think about your fundamental strategy and have that strategy established before you go into a market like this. So, a lot of that comes not just navigating that environment, but going into it. What's your long term portfolio strategy and make sure that it can take the ups and downs of what the market is going to throw at you? And that's something that we do. When we look at our portfolios, we're looking at the quality of the underlying assets. We're having a target duration that is a long-term duration target. And we want to make sure that we're comfortable with that in all types of market environments. So I hate to say there's no secret necessarily. I I don't have a crystal ball. Um, I think the most important thing is to realize no one has that crystal ball. And so make sure that your portfolio is fundamentally sound going into this because you won't be able to change it once once you get in. It's really hard to, to change the fundamentals of your portfolio going into it.
0: And a key component of the stable value product is what's called a RAP manager. That's the guarantor that provides the guaranteed rate. It's basically an insurance manager, insurance, multi-insurance managers. Was, Was it a challenging year from the RAP capacity, the RAP management perspective as well?
1: I think I'm not going to say that it was not challenging for them. What I will say is that there were a lot of benefits from what we learned coming out of the great financial crisis. Coming out of, when you looked at that period, when you looked at the wrap issuer market during that time, there wasn't as much transparency for them and what they were wrapping. I don't think there was much awareness within their own organizations about stable value, what it was and and what the type of experiences could be. Um, And I think there was not as much in terms of investment guidelines and, what what are the parameters? What are, what are really the risk metrics that they're comfortable with? So I think it was challenging for them. There were probably more conversations they were having with their risk teams as rates were going up. Um, but I think they already had prepared those teams for rates are going to rise eventually. And here's what this could mean for portfolios. And we have investment guidelines negotiated with the RAP issuers. And that means that they're comfortable with what those risk parameters are. That's really important is that you learned some lessons from 2008 and you made sure that when you had another period of volatility, you were ready for that. And so you were ready to, to kind of navigate that more as a partner rather than having some rap issuers who were reacting to something they didn't expect.
0: Yeah. And that's where that open line of communication really
1: exactly.
0: works and, and it is so important. Jennifer, I need to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Performing due diligence. Yes, you need to perform due diligence on these products and what it looks like in 2023. You're gonna wanna stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future.
2: and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying.
0: Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credits.
2: I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit Repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score.
0: Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation.
2: Call 800 That's 800 819 Again, 800
0: Welcome back. We're joined this morning by Jennifer Gilmore. She is the head of Stable Value Portfolio Management for Invesco. Jennifer, thanks so much for sticking around with us for segment number two this morning.
1: Sure thing. All
0: right, so we laid out, I think, you know, what happened in 2022 and also maybe what to consider in 2023, but as we, we mentioned, these are very complex investment products and they require a lot of due diligence, due diligence from you know, consultants, advisors out there who are helping employers select these products. Jennifer, from your perspective, what do you need to think about when you're you're thinking about whether or not to add a particular product to your investment lineup?
1: I, I think that's a really important question. Um, we use external sub-advisors in our portfolio. So definitely due diligence is something that, that we spend a lot of time on. Um, I think one of the things to realize early on is that there is no one size fits all solution. And you really have to pay attention to what are your needs? What are you trying to achieve? What are your risk tolerances? What Really fundamentally, what what are you trying to achieve? Um, With 900 billion or more in stable value assets, you have to imagine there's a range of asset uh, type of solutions that we have. So in my mind, first thing, because this is a principal preservation option, what are the risks? You have to look at that underlying portfolio what's in there, what's driving the crediting rate that you are seeing. You might see a really attractive crediting rate over here that says, wow, that would be great for my participants to be able to deliver that type of return. But take a look underneath the hood and make sure you understand what's driving that. And are there risks where you say, in certain markets, that might compromise on the principal preservation. For us, principal preservation is, is that number one. The other thing is, I think, what is your exposure to not just the underlying assets, But the insurance wrappers, you were talking about that in the first segment, and that is an essential component of a stable value portfolio, is who is providing that book value accounting? Usually that's the insurance wrapper. What's the exposure there? And is it a single issuer that you will have exposure to? Are there multiple issuers that you will have exposure to? What's the credit quality of those issuers? What are the terms that they're willing to offer? So I think that's one. What is the risk of your portfolio? I think the other things to really keep in mind, what's your exit plan? As an investor, I am always thinking about my exit plan, and make sure you're reading what the rules are. Read that contract and understand, if I want to choose another manager, if I want to sure, choose another insurance provider, if for some reason or another I decide stable value is not the best solution for, for my participants, what's the exit plan? Um, I think the other thing I would hit on is fees. Understand from a very transparent perspective, what are the fees you're paying? And make sure that that's something that you can make very transparent to your investors. Overall, I'm going to tie it back to what are you trying to achieve for your participants? What's your plan design? What are your goals? And does the solution that you're looking at, is that really aligned with the goals of, of what you're trying to provide those participants?
0: Yeah, I really like that you bring up reading that contract. And I have three words for you, Jennifer. Market Value adjustment. That's that's. I'm going to throw that okay. out there. But let, let's talk about <laughs> yes. Not not and 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 for those who watching the program who may not know what that is, we're going to do a lot more on stable value. Very important asset class, both from the employer but also the participant perspective. Let me ask you about the type of investment vehicle: um, general account, a collective uh, type of investment, or a separately managed fund. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing a particular trend in any direction, depending on the plan type and size?
1: I think the the trends that we're seeing is is really what you just said, it depends on the plan type and size. So um, in in the world of it depends, this is one where I will say it depends. Um, For us, we primarily focus on collective trust, um, and that is to serve the needs of our smaller plans um, to where they can access stable value, um, but do that in a way that they can combine assets with, with some other plans. Um, we also find that that's something that is attractive to something newer in the market. That's pooled employer plans or OCIOs, that they can find their select collective trust that delivers stable value, that aligns with their objectives, and be able to invest in those. Um, the other thing that we primarily offer are separately managed accounts. And those there's a lot of customization that comes with that, where we're able to look at specifically what a plan sponsor wants, what they're trying to deliver, what the rest of their plan looks like, and anything that they want to integrate into their portfolio, Uh, that includes risk tolerance. We find that there's a range of risk tolerance um, across stable value portfolios. And so that's something that that we can customize there. Um, In terms of general accounts, that's something that we we are seeing interest. um, And that is something that I, I go back to some of the due diligence for each one of these solutions. What are you trying to achieve? And just make sure that the, the type of vehicle that you're choosing matches up with what you're trying to achieve in that plan.
0: Yeah. And I probably should have started this, asked this question <laughs> first, but I want to ask you about chasing rate because it's real. you know, if you think about it from the plan sponsor perspective, hey, if we're moving to a new product, the first thing that a participant's going to say is, hey, my rate is not as high or- yes. X, Y, and Z, have you seen a lot of employers, and we're talking a lot about due diligence, but rate, crediting rate, but also the crediting rate frequency, whether it's annual, semi-annual, that (laughs) reset frequency, very important. Have you seen a lot of people chase the rate, even given all the things we're talking about in the market?
1: I think it's human nature that you always want the biggest and what you perceive to be the best, right? So I think it is definitely human nature that if you see a yield that is higher on another type of product, that that is something that you are going to be drawn to. I face the same thing with the underlying investments. You think, hey, I really would like the higher yielding one. But just like the investments that I'm looking at, Everyone has to look at the underlying fundamentals of that investment. You you cannot just look at the yield alone and think that is the primary driver of a selection. I think we're really fortunate to work with plan sponsors that understand this. What are the primary objectives that they're looking at from their stable value portfolio? This is your stable value portfolio and a whole line of options that are available in your plan. What are you looking for from your stable value portfolio? And I think that's where you have to think, what are the fundamentals? Am I going to deliver principal preservation in all markets? What's the liquidity parameter that I'm going to be involved with? How long am I locked up into this investment? I think you really have to to see what else is involved. We're really fortunate to work with a lot of plan sponsors, advisors, consultants. They understand that. And once we talk through a lot of specifics, they're able to to balance out that conversation within themselves and say, what is the best stable value solution for, for this portfolio?
0: Uh, last question, Jennifer, um, communication, education, how important is that? And, and you mentioned yeah. advisors, consultants, employers, everyone's got to be on the right receiving end of information. But I also think about the participant and we're talking so much in our industry about financial wellness and and participant communications and doing that better. Can we do a better job in what we're communicating and and how we're educating these participants um, about this type of product? I, I feel like everything that we've just talked about goes hand in hand with better communication.
1: Right. And I think it's important at the participant level. I think it's really important at the plan sponsor level, even consultants advisor. You you started off by saying this at the very beginning of the first segment, this is a complicated asset class. This is not something that you can read a couple of paragraphs and, and really understand those driving fundamentals. So I think really it's all the way across plan sponsor, all the way down to participants, the more transparency we can provide to everyone, expectations, what the role of a stable value portfolio is, what the benefits can be to your whole, um, as participants are allocating their assets, what are the benefits stable value can be? There's no doubt that we can always do better. I will tell you, I I have three one-on-one meetings with consultants coming up over the next month. It is something I really enjoy doing because I think it is so important. And we do the same thing with plan sponsors is spending the time and in really informing them, whether it's a stable value, 101, a deep dive on wrap contracts, market value adjustments, which is the term you brought up, whatever the topic is, we want to make sure there's full transparency there. And, and so I think that's vital across this asset class.
0: Yeah. Well, Jennifer, we could, We, you know, we've only had a short period of time to really cover a very important and also complex topic. And look, we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon to break this down a little bit further. Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you again very soon.
1: I appreciate you taking on the topic.
0: And that wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news in lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content? We'll visit our website and, of course, all of our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.
2: tax audits, tax liens, wage garnishments. Every day we hear stories like this I'm already living paycheck to paycheck. That would have put me over the edge financially. It truly seemed hopeless, but then a friend at work told her to call the tax relief line. The people at the tax relief line, they told me about something called innocent spouse relief. They worked it out so that all of the taxes from my ex are not my problem. I don't know how that works and and I don't care. All I care about is that I don't owe the IRS a dime and they are not going to take my paycheck. Even if it seems hopeless, you should call the number on your screen right now. There is absolutely no cost for the call or the consultation. You are under no obligation. If you are worried that the IRS could garnish your wages, seize your assets, even take your home, call us right now. The Tax Relief Line is here to help you. You don't have to live in fear anymore. The call and the consultation are free.